the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All there. It's there forever. To receive God's forgiveness and begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers to be. Sweet land of liberty of the sing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever we are americans this is always right radio on am 1420 the answer here's your host Welcome to this post-Christmas Bob Fran Show. I'm Khalid Namar. Bob is off today, and as he typically does, he calls my number, and I jump off the bench. So I'm here to perform my uh, duties to uh, uh, give the seat justice today. I'm Khalid Namar, host of Rising Tides. If you haven't heard me on Sunday nights on this network, please uh, get your life right. Check out my show on Sunday nights if you're... Uh, tired of watching football you want to be entertained want to hear some good music you want to hear some good topics check my show out sunday nights on this network nine o'clock rising tides it's wednesday december 27th hope you had a great christmas i am here to basically tell you that i'm kind of discouraged about some things even though i had a lot of time to think over the holidays about you know what i want to accomplish the next year and you know what happened this year and I have a really bad habit I have to get rid of, and that is 
what I'm going to talk about. I really think I, I try to because I'm I'm in radio, I'm in media. I have to keep on top of things and what people are talking about. But I gotta get it's it's a painful trade off because I learned something about myself over the last probably week or so as I'm reading comments all the time. I'm constantly reading comments. I'm reading different things. Social media has had a negative effect on me personally, and it, it it's going to sort of lay the foundation for what I'm going to do with this show. I think that what is it, what it is, has exposed to me is it's, it's actually made me a little bit more, <laughs> should I say uh, hostile sometimes because I think there's so little honesty in people period. There's just lack of honesty and lack of the, the truth doesn't matter. Any, I mean, people say the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth is important, obviously. However, it really does not matter to people. It's like when you were a defense lawyer, you go into a courtroom, Alan Dershowitz, the famed defense, Harvard defense lawyer. He said it many times. You don't go to court to determine the truth. And you may go, what? No. And you, you really don't because it, it really matters as to what you can convince people of truth. Be damned. He tells uh, murderers all the time. Well, look, legally you're off morally. You're on your own. So that tells you legally, I may have gotten you out of here, but you know, whether you did it or not, that's another issue. And that's, what it really comes down to what can you convince people is true and it does not matter what the actual truth is because if you look at things that have been said years and years ago that are not true people still repeating a decade later that's what matters what message have you put in their brains message that they will repeat over and over and over and over again like a cliche who cares if it's true or not and the seeds of this in this so-called information age were planted uh, a while ago. There's this Soviet defector, which I'm sure many of uh, this audience, this regular audience has heard this before, but I'm going to pick out a certain part of it because this is something I've been thinking about the last week. There's this Soviet defector, Yuri Bezmenov, and he is talking, doing an interview in 1984, which is stunning to me because I think like, wow, that was 30 almost 40, you know, about 40, 40 years ago, where he accurately predicts what is washing through our education system. Uh, I'm going to run, run that clip. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either 
ideological subversion or active measures, активные мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. <laughs> 1984, that interview took place. Anyone who knows anything about our education system, particularly on the university level, and that's most of this audience, you knows this is true, knows exactly what has been happening on these college campuses the last couple of decades. This is 100% true, what is going on, what has infiltrated our education system. We all know after World War II, we had Nazi ideology infiltrate our country. There were huge Nazi clubs here in the United States. We know this. It took a while for it to hit the universities in the 1960s and throughout the 70s, and now it's, it's, it's full throttle. Anybody who knows anything about this knows this is true. You listen to these professors, you follow them like people, and particularly a lot of the people out there who I know are listening, who, who give talks on this issue, who can tell you the words that these people say all the time, the students who will tell you what's being taught in the classroom. The, the, the conferences that go on where they're out of their mouths telling you these things that this gentleman just said. This isn't a secret. But it doesn't matter. Because people sit up and tell you, oh, well, you know, it's not true. They'll just tell you it's, it's raining outside, but they'll just tell you, no, it's 78 degrees and sunny. What, what are you looking at? They just and our media is perfect at this. They will pretty much their job is to tell you that pee on your leg is rain. That's their job. Whatever the, the, the left-wing government narrative is, our media's job is to tell you, yeah, that's pretty much what's going on. And when that lie is exposed, they just move on to another lie. That is their job. Tell me when the last time our mainstream press had a disagreement with the Democrat Party. They're pretty much on the same page on everything. And the colleges and the universities are all pushing the same thing. That's why these kids are nuts. That's why they're insane. You think this is all an accident? So the truth, it's important to me. It's important to many of you. But to a lot of people, it just does not matter because they will tell you, what they want you to believe, and they tell people enough what they want to believe, they will believe it. There, there's so much nonsense that people have, 
are, are just they just repeat over and over again. And. What's interesting to me is if you look back five years, if you look back 10 years. You just go back and look and find out what, who was right and who was wrong, because sometimes the truth does come out after a few years, but it's very quiet. It's very quiet how it just kind of creeps out. And if you look back, okay, wait a minute. They were telling us that this wasn't true 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. So yesterday's disinformation is today's truth. And it's like, oh, well, people are just moving on from it. And nobody's ever held accountable because these people are professional trained liars. And the colleges are filling these kids' heads with all sorts of, of idiocy. And they're running around tearing up things and burning up things based on what they think they know, because this is intentional. Chaos is intentional. So there are rational people who can hear something and change their mind. But to others, it does not matter. Now, something this gentleman said which struck me was that, and he said this in 84 again, with the abundance of information, people still can't come to a rational conclusion about what's true or not. Well, yes, there's many people who can't. And now we have the information age, which people are dumber than they were in 1984. With all the disinformation, one of the things that drives me a little insane is when people think they can just go to Google and find out how much money somebody's worth. <laughs> it's like I've had debates with people about this. Like, do you think you could just put some uh, stroke some keys and you can find out how much money somebody has? There's a friend of mine. I won't mention his name. And I know him well. He's in the entertainment business. Uh. I go to I just put his name in there to see what it would say. And it had like a net worth of a million dollars. I fell off my chair laughing because <laughs> I know for a fact that's that that's not true. But it's just like the average person who goes to the Internet. Oh, let me see what he's, you know, oh, he's worth a million dollars. This is this is the silliness of the information age, but it's the disinformation age because people don't know how to discern based on experience, common sense or a, some, uh, some array of knowledge of their own, their own independent knowledge, what's true or not. I have people, you know, me, it's, it, you know, I've, I've been in this media business for a while. I've followed world affairs and politics for 35 years or so. I've traveled extensively. I, I know a little bit. And I got people sending me articles on things, and I'm like, you don't even know what you're reading. Why are you sending me this? You have your own, you, you don't even have your own basis of knowledge. So don't ever send me any articles. I do this all day, every day. I'm pretty clear on what I believe. Don't send me a CNN article. Think you, you, you're going to educate me about something because you're not. And it's just, and, and, I, and I go to meetings and I talk to people who differ. I won't mention the organization, but I go to these meetings where we're supposed to have dialogue and debate. And you sit around and you talk to these people and I, I leave like some of the others who are there very frustrated because you you sit there and you go, these people don't know anything. And I'm like, do you know anything like do you sit in front of your television all day and just swallow nonsense? How am I supposed to have a conversation with people who basically just don't really know anything? And what I mean by that is you have to have your own basis of knowledge and understanding. I study information 
information and news are two different things. And you got people who don't know how the system even works. They don't even, they couldn't pass an eighth grade civics exam, but they are swallowing this nonsense on television. And some of the people who are paid millions of dollars on television don't know anything, but they're pretty faces. They read news, they read teleprompters and they're shoving stuff down people's throat, things that they don't know. And so my point is, we are in a bit of trouble how, because of this overload of, the, of information, but it's, much of it is not accurate. I just heard this, this woman from the University of Minnesota, they have a land back conference. These are indigenous folks who are talking uh, all sorts of kookiness. And she says, America, America at 240 plus years old is the biggest predator nation that has ever existed this is what she said now how can i put this how can i put this kindly about this woman she's in college which you don't get this stupid without college she's an ignoramus if you know anything about any real world history about the history of empire and conquest which you, which she obviously doesn't. You couldn't make such a stupid statement. This is this country is very, very young. In the context of the entire world, two hundred and fifty less than fifty years is not is nothing. We've had empires that have lasted four hundred years, like the Romans. You have the Mongols, you have the Byzantines, you have all these major empires that have gobbled up large parts of the globe. But this, this woman who sits in her college classes trapped in the moment thinks that she's living in the biggest predator empire in the world, because this is the nonsense that she's fed. So where, where am I going with this? I'm going to set out some things for you throughout the show that are just going to, kind of lay out some of the things that you know sort of back up some of the things that I'm saying and I also I'll say this there are people we know our relatives our self-righteous friends and relatives who think they're just geniuses and you're the crazy one a lot of them are frauds they are we that's <laughs> just a fact they are frauds and what I mean by that is the things that they claim to believe in they really don't they don't and all you have to do is watch people's behaviors they don't they don't believe in the nonsense they say i i i'm i'm seeing basically nothing about politics on the on facebook nowadays in spite of all the stuff that's been going on in spite of all the the inflation and the chaos on the border and all the crime i see nothing because they don't see if they're bothered by it they won't talk about it publicly because they voted for all the the idiots that are responsible for this Yes, I said it. So now nobody seems to be political. People had their hair on fire a few years ago. Every people were running out of their jobs at lunch breaks, protesting about the border. It was just, oh, my God, kids and cage. people were screaming. Now everything seems to be good. At, at least from what I can see. I see nothing political from people. 
Uh, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think so. And what I'm what I'm speaking of are the people who were chicken littles a few years ago. And then the, the people who are screaming about our democracy, our democracy, our democracy, are sitting back watching the very people who are screaming this destroy our quote-unquote democracy. Doesn't bother them at all. Because it's, and I posted something on Facebook, which some people got and some people didn't. I said, and they were mad about Jonathan Majors. People were upset about the actor Jonathan Majors. And I said, well, today the criminal, criminal justice system sucks. But when it's somebody that you don't like, it's fine. Anyway, I got more today. If you're offended already, that's good. Um, Khalid Namar, I'm here for- And the Google Play Store. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right with Bob France. I am Colleen Namarian for Bob France today. So I was talking about the, the death of truth. And we had something happen over the last couple of weeks, which infuriated a lot of people, not just on one side of the aisle. That was the con, the Colorado Supreme Court deciding that Trump was guilty of insurrection and they just decided to kick him off of the ballot. I think they know it's going to be thrown out in the Supreme Court, but it doesn't matter. But 16 other states are going to try to do the same thing because, you know, these are all defenders of democracy. Anyway, it's stunning how these people can just decide something in their minds. And pretty much that's all it takes. Because they, again, believe in democracy. Uh, There is a... Section three of the of the Constitution, which is disqualification clause, I know you've all heard about it or know about it, where it says that no person shall be a senator, representative in Congress, or elector of president and vice president, hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislator or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to his enemies thereof. But Congress may vote of two-thirds of each house remove such disability. Okay, so... There are people who like Roland Martin. Those of you who know Roland Martin uh, used to be a CNN BET, who's a, a Democrat attack dog. Oh, the Constitution is clear, and I'm sitting going, going, where is it clear? It's only clear when it's in your mind. People who know the history of this clause know that it was a post Civil War era clause, and if you read it carefully, we had states that seceded from the Union, so they were disqualifying mostly state officials from engaging in secession. We, we know this, but it does not matter because the law for a lot of these judges is like silly putty. They can shape it to be anything they want it to be. 
This is what they do. This is what lawyers do. And judges. And legislators. They can just, oh, well, let's play with intent. Prosecutors do the same thing as well. This is why lawyers are some of the most dangerous people in our society. And they're even more dangerous when when they're politicians. They know how to twist and contort and reshape things to do anything they want to do. And, and I have, I, I did have some, I did have some sympathy for, for Rudy Giuliani in the sense that everything that he had turned out in, in Ukraine turned out to be true. And of course you get in trouble, particularly with our media for telling the truth and not for lying. They come after you for telling the truth. So he did come up with a lot of things that were true in Ukraine. Pretty much everything he said was true out of Ukraine with, with the Bidens and so forth, which I'll be talking about in a little bit, but he engaged in some of these same shenanigans when he went after one of the guys that I used to read a lot about growing up, Mike Milken, who, sh- who as a prosecutor, federal prosecutor, he went after him. And looking back on that, that was a malicious prosecution because that's what the federal prosecutors they do. They have unlimited amounts of money and they can make up things. And this is what they're doing in many jurisdictions when it comes to Trump. How do we know? Well, we know that the Federal Election Commission twice has already determined that this Stormy Daniels nonsense is not a crime. But it does not matter because you have federal prosecutors, you have the media on your side, and you have lots of lemmings in, in, the, in our society who swallow whatever they hear on television. So therefore, it is. Again, the Federal Election Commission twice passed on it. Bradley Smith, who used to head the FEC, said this is not a crime. He explained it in detail a lot in written articles on television. But it doesn't matter because if the Justice Department empowers a federal prosecutor, they do what they want. And people don't care because it's somebody they don't like. And I'm talking about people of a certain political mindset. They take statutes from the 1800s like the Ku Klux Klan Act and blow it off and dust it off. And use it or the Espionage Act, things that they've never used before against particularly a president has nothing to do with the president. But again, it doesn't matter. These people are so dangerous. Because they can cook up any kind of crime they want. They do it all the time. Jack Smith is known prosecutor Jack Smith, who's the leader of this clown show. He's known for losing cases on appeal having his stuff thrown out. He doesn't have a good track record. But you can do your damage and then have somebody uh, straighten it out later on. You've, you've served your purpose. If your goal is to gunk up the works, tie someone up in court, drain their financial resources, you can do that because you are a federal prosecutor. Then you get a job on CNN or something as, as an analyst. It, it's stunning to me the number of of, <laughs> of Proven liars who now have jobs on television. Peter Stroke, who blocked me on Twitter, by the way, which I've been blocked by many people <laughs> on Twitter. But um, Peter Stroke from FBI deputy director who proven liar. He's got a job with MSNBC. Donna Brazil, who leaked debate questions to Hillary Clinton, along with Roland Martin, because these people are down the middle, straight nonpartisans. They have jobs. Uh, she has a job with with Fox hired her. Fox hired her. Proven liars. 
but they get, it does not matter. Most of us who had something like that on our record would not get hired in our industry. It just won't happen. But these people can get jobs on television, get paid lots of money, and they are proven liars. Andrew McCabe lied to Congress on television. It is just, it's on and on and on. But all of these things are just going, there's no accountability for these people, except maybe they fall out of favor and they replace by someone else. That's the only thing, but there's no real accountability for these people. So back to this 14th amendment issue, 16 States, you can't tell me that there's 16 States attorney general who think that this is smart. I don't think that they believe it's going to work, but they can do it anyway. If it slows down the Trump campaign, why not? Why not try it? You're not using your money. And there's so many of these States that are trying things that are blatantly unconstitutional. They're trying to get rid of electoral college through the compact, uh, the national voter uh, compact that they're trying to do where they're trying to agree a bunch of states to throw their electoral votes to the popular vote winner despite the fact we don't have a popular vote but that's it doesn't matter they want one so they're going to try to make one happen even though it's against the constitution's compacts clause which you can't have a bunch of states coming together to oppose the United States but they're doing it anyway. They're trying to get all these states to sign on. The, the states elect the president, not the people. The states elect the president. And if you want a not, if you want a popular vote, then you're going to basically be like Hillary Clinton's campaign, where she had most of her votes come from the coast: New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, the the wealthiest states are on the east and on the west. She got millions of votes in Southern California. California is the size of, of Canada, roughly about 33 million people. And the wealthiest states vote Democrat. So if you get the coast, you don't have to go to a lot of states. And that's where all the money is. Put it for the most part. Lots of money in Texas, lots of money in Florida. However, the coast has lots of money and they're blue. But these people are trying to get a national popular vote initiative going because that's what they want. So all this talk about democracy, democracy, democracy is a bunch of nonsense. A, most of you know that that word does not appear in any of our foreign documents. It's intentionally uh, left out. But this is what they want, which is why they keep saying it on television over and over and over. Democracy, 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 because that's what they want. That's not what we have, but that's what they want. So they'll keep saying it. So I had a, a little moment. I, I substitute teach. And I was in class with, with some kids and they did the Pledge of Allegiance, which some kids still do it. So I took a few minutes <laughs> doing the the uh, Pledge of Allegiance to talk to the kids about a republic. They just said it. I just decided to talk to them about it. Um, and if people can shove gender identity down these kids throats, I can talk to them about what it is to be a republic, particularly after the Pledge of Allegiance. I think that I think that's fine. But this is not possible without this media. This media is awful. 
they're corrupt. They are dishonest. And in many cases, a lot of them are stupid. I've, I've constantly written to some journalists about stories that they've written and how dishonest these stories were. Certain words they've put in there, certain things that they've, uh, or certain narratives that they've used to frame a story that technically made it true, but it was intentional, the word that they put into a sentence. It's, it's very slick how they do things. I just despise these people so much because so much of our country, uh, so much of our problems in our country are because of, because of our media. A lot of it is. The media has always been awful. They've caused some very horrible events to happen in our country's history. The Tulsa riots in, in 1923 was largely the result of, of a local media uh, organization, a local tabloid. They put a story in the paper about an alleged rape that wasn't true, but it made its way around and it whipped up a frenzy and the rest is ugly history. They've always been terrible, but now they just swung on the other side of the pendulum. They've caused so much damage over the last few years in our society, particularly in the last decade or so. And then they sit back and they wonder where all the chaos is coming from. It's like the, the arsonist doesn't even understand, doesn't see the, 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 uh, the gas cannon in, in his hand. Oh, where's this fire coming from? They don't see themselves as part of the problem. And it's just so funny. They keep giving themselves awards and, and things. Well, this 14th Amendment issue is so indicative of how self-righteous a lot of these people are when they feel like they are on the right side of quote-unquote history, which I hate that phrase, but they can decide to do something because they are, they are righteous. They know better. We're going to strip the people of our state their ability to choose a presidential candidate because we know better. So we're just going to kick them off the ballot because that's what we can do, even though you have no legal basis for it. And the Constitution is not clear on this, but it is clear as to who's not included. If you know the history of this, of this clause, even though it doesn't require a criminal conviction. However, the, insur the insurrection, the, the, the alleged insurrection, is something that they've used intentionally to target Trump. Why? Because, A, if they thought he was guilty of it, they would have charged him with it, which is in the criminal code. And they would have charged the hundreds of J6 defendants with it, but they have not. So there was an insurrection, but nobody's charged for it. That's like saying there was a murder, and we got five people in jail for it, but nobody's being charged with murder. So no one's no one's charged with it. They're charged with this ridiculous Enron statute interrupting a, a, uh, an official proceeding. This is the best they could do. There's somebody here in Ohio I've met, and many of you know his name, and I keep forgetting his name. Uh, he got four years for going into Capitol, inside the building, lighting a cigarette for seven minutes and leaving. And it's just unbelievable. Four years for going into the Capitol, never hitting a cop, never breaking a window, no vandalism. 
And he got four years. Four years. It doesn't matter because, again, these are people that the mainstream media thinks of as, quote, insurrectionists. When, again, no one's charged with it. And there's a little-known constitutional statute, which I'm well, not constitutional statute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Most misspoke. There's a there's a little-known proposed constitutional amendment, which was proposed uh, around that time in the late 1800s, which I which I'll get to next segment, which kind of gives you an idea of what was behind that clause. Because people don't seem to want to define what an insurrection is. We seem to think it was a riot. <laughs> it was, oh, it's a riot. It was an insurrection, whatever. It's, it's just something that this media intentionally uses because everything that they do, particularly our politicians as well, they use these words intentionally to brainwash the public. So now we all think it was an insurrection, even though it was people armed with high-capacity cell phones. The Congress was open in three hours. So how serious was it? So my thing is, there's so much, as, as this person said earlier, Mr. Besman, Mr. Besmanoff, there's so much confusion. And you have people who really don't even understand where the battle lines are, which, you know, why they're voting, what they should be watching against. And whether or not, you know, the people who are claiming to help you are actually really are helping you or are some benefit. And in most cases, these people are not. They just have to make themselves relevant. Interfering in the elections is not a benefit to the st- to us, to the states. It's not at all. That's why these people want federal election. They want a federalized election. Most of these states can't get their own elections right. But you think the government can? But this is what they want, and they're pushing for this. They're talking about it all the time. And people are so confused. And they attack the people that come out against this. I I tell people all the time who really don't follow this. Pay attention to who the media attacks and who they don't attack. Why are they swatting Marjorie Taylor Greene's house? She's had, I don't know, nine or 12 incidents of swatting at her house. Why is that? Well, she gets a lot of negative press. But why does she get negative press? And who doesn't get negative press? on the on the other side it's it, if you stand back and you see who the enemy of the people are it's quite simple to see if you can take your your lenses off so this these judges and these lawyers and these prosecutors who have so much power to, to intimidate. And, and, and there's a case, I think it was in, in uh, Ken Chesborough, who's one of the Trump attorneys. They threw all sorts of serious charges at him, conspiracy and all these things. Then they settle for one misdemeanor count. So how bad was he? You throw 12 charges at someone. Okay, we'll, we'll just we'll just take a misdemeanor. That was all intimidation to get you to submit. They throw a bunch of charges. And then they settle for a misdemeanor. 
And I am no fan of this guy, Roger Stone. I think Roger Stone is a lot of things I won't say on the radio. But you send 20 agents to this guy's house. Guns drawn, FBI agents, everything. Then he's out on bond in like three hours. How, how dangerous was he in the first place if you let him out on bail in three hours? <laughs> it was just, it's all for show. But this is, this is, again, the manipulation, the brainwashing that is going on, where I have people who think simply because someone has an indictment that actually means something. Oh, he has indictments. You have indictments. Yeah. Indictments are one-sided. They're, they're just one-sided. They throw them out all the time. But now we have a situation where there's so much coming at people and they're awfully and utterly, again, like Besmanov said, demoralized and confused. And it's like, wow, it's just information overload. And people have no idea what they're voting for, why they're voting. And the bottom line is this. I always tell people I vote for people who tell me what they're not going to do. And when I heard the other day that this Congress was the most least was the least most most least productive in some time, I actually thought that was a I thought that was a good thing. <laughs> they do too much. Yeah. Don't just do something. Sit there. They do too much. They sit around and think, oh, what can we screw up today? And if, if they're not screwing up something, they don't feel right. Why don't you start repealing stuff instead of passing laws all the time? Why don't you start repealing some of the nonsense that you passed over the last 50 years? Let's undo some of the nonsense that we passed. Like the thousands of regulations and all the other silliness that they, they just have to do something all the time. So next segment, I'm going to talk about this um. If you want to get in at 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. Video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, police.org. That's nationalpolice.org. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Welcome back. I am Khalid Namar in for Bob France today. Um, so I talked a lot about <clears throat> information, disinformation, um, truth in the Constitution. So particularly when it comes to this 14th Amendment issue, which, again, stunning what, what, what these judges do. And, you know, I was doing some research as I'm always looking into constitutional issues, and I kind of stumbled across something I thought was interesting because as we're watching the, the news media continue to use this word insurrection without really defining it, there, there's a a Columbia law professor, a little known Columbia law professor back in the day, uh, Francis Lieber. 
and he came up with he's known for something called a Libra code. It was a, it was basically rules of war, which became the framework for uh, the Geneva Convention. And he had proposed a series of constitutional amendments, 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment. He had proposed some some provisions for those amendments. But he also wanted to define the difference between treason and, uh, you know, rebellion. And he basically laid out kind of what an insurrection is defined as, even though it, of course, never made it. And something I've always thought that it was an arming of people. It was organizing men and it was arming of rebellion against the United States. So basically he talked about it should be a high crime directly to incite to armed resistance to the authority of the United States or to establish or to join societies or combinations, secret or public, the object of which is to offer armed resistance to the authority of the United States or to prepare for the same by collecting arms, organizing men, or otherwise. So Libra's insurrection amendment was never ratified. (laughs) Had it been, Americans would live in a very different country. Of course, a riot is bad on our capital. Breaking windows, assaulting cops, of course it's bad. But that's exactly what it was. This was no insurrection, which is why people have not been charged with it. And it's in the criminal code. If the best you can do is an Enron statute, something aimed at aimed at a bunch of corporate criminals. Interrupting an official proceeding. There's a reason why these people with all of their vigor to throw people in jail have not used the insurrection statute. The president did not invoke the Insurrection Act, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, I got to check this out. Back during the L.A. riots, I think George Bush used that to call in the National Guard. I think that was was invoked. That was not done. So they know what they're doing when they use language. But you you look at what they do. And that tells you everything you need to know. So that that gentleman who I wanted to uh, mention John Wright. John Wright was, again, somebody from Ohio, went into the Capitol and walked around for a few minutes, lit a cigarette, left. <clears throat> that got him four years. That got him four years. Not accused of violence, not accused of vandalism, not charged with it, none of that. Uh, interrupting an official proceeding is that blanket, vague charge. Four years. It's just stunning that, you know, that that can happen. And there are people who've who've run over people with DUIs and who've committed manslaughter, for instance, behind the wheel and and gotten far less than that. And I can name the cases. So. This is where we are. So and I was reading also the uh, the Farah violation because that's another thing that the media is doing they're saying well there was no there's no evidence 
against Biden. There's no evidence against Biden. They say it every day. They make sure they say it every single day. Because they seem to think that there needs to be a picture of Joe Biden taking a check from Ukrainians in like one of those publishers clearinghouse photos or something for it to be guilty. That doesn't have to happen. There's plenty here to impeach this guy. Plenty. And your basis and your foundation is the Foreign Agents Registration Act violation. Which, thanks to our overzealous attorneys doing the the special counsel's investigation, a statute that they had not used but five or six times since mid-1960s, they decided to charge a bunch of Trump people with it, like Paul Manafort and a few others, in order to get them to talk and, and kind of ruin their lives in the process. They never charged anyone with this statute. But now they've gotten out of the mothballs, and now they're using it. So let's use it. Let's talk about it. The Foreign Agents Registration Act requiring foreign agents to register with the attorney general. And you don't have to take a penny to be a foreign agent. And we already know that Hunter has been a foreign agent. He's getting money from all these different countries. He's been traveling on Air Force Two. He's been all over the world. Everywhere his dad goes, he gets a paycheck. There's a mountain of evidence that suggests that Joe Biden knew and participated in some of these discussions. There's money through all these shell accounts. You all know the story. He's a foreign agent. That has been established. He even admitted to taking money from China. So that's your basis. He is guilty of of violating FARA, which... They've charged other people with it. And his father is guilty of being complicit in that because he he is the prize. He's the the product that's being sold. Yet and still. The connections aren't laid out as of yet. Well, the impeachment inquiry is coming. I think they'll do a good job of. of, um, Connecting the dots. But all of this is just stunning to me that the biggest political scandal in my lifetime certainly is being treated like a a fender bender. This is a massive political scandal. But since we have the corrupt in the tank media we have, it's, it's being covered as nothing. We have a president who is on the take. And that's anybody with a sense of honesty who isn't a complete partisan sycophant can see that the millions of dollars flowing through these companies, through shell accounts, through family members. Why are your family members getting money from China and Ukraine? Why are nine family members getting money through bank accounts? Why are there 150 suspicious activity reports from banks, which denotes money laundering? They know money laundering when they see it. I think it was 170 suspicious activity reports. Shell accounts by definition are money laundering. So I was reading the Paul Manafort indictment and I just thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was charged with fair violations. Absolutely. He and Richard Gates. And this indictment I thought was so interesting. 
Paul Manafort served for years as a political consultant and lobbyist between 2006 and 2015. Paul Manafort and Gates acted as unregistered agents of the government of Ukraine, the Party of Regents, a Ukrainian political party whose leader, Viktor Yanukovych, was president from 2010 to 2014. Yanukovych of the opposition bloc, a success of the Party of Regents, that, that a successor to the Party of Regents that formed in 2014 when Yanukovych fled to Russia. Manafort and Gates generated tens of millions of dollars in income as a result of their Ukraine work in order to hide Ukraine payments from United States authorities from approximately 2006 through at least 2016 Manafort and Gates laundered the money through scores of United States and foreign corporations and bank accounts. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? In, in furtherance of the scheme, Manafort and Gates funneled millions of dollars in payments into foreign nominee companies and bank accounts opened by them and their accomplices in nominee names and in various foreign countries, including Cyprus, St. Vincent and the Grenadines and the Seychelles. Manafort and Gates hid the existence of the foreign companies and bank accounts falsely and repeatedly reporting to their tax preparers and the United States that they had no foreign bank accounts. I mean, this is all basically Hunter Biden stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. We know the IRS has come forward, the whistleblowers. We know the FBI has come forward with whistleblowers. We know the bank accounts exist, the shell companies. All of this is all public now. And he's not being charged with the source of the money. He's just charged with not being taxes on them, on paying tax on the money, which they refuse to identify the sources of which are bribes. Paul Manafort went to jail. Paul Manafort, even the judge in that case, if you read the impeachment, he said to the prosecutors, he said, you are not interested in Paul Manafort's crimes, your financial crimes. You're interested in him in hopes that he will. That was all to get him to snitch on Trump, which $28 million, dozens of countries they went to, they didn't find any of this. But you have all of this on the Bidens. Biden is involved, complicit because of his phone calls, text messages, dinners, emails. He's a facilitator. He's guilty of fair violations. He's guilty of it. You don't need to see him laying in the bed in in a bunch of cash. But you do have joint bank accounts with him and Hunter. You do have phone calls, text messages. He's complaining to his daughter, Hunter that he has to give his dad half his money. But the media is, oh, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. That's their job. Their job is to elect and protect Democrats. And this Farah indictment of Manafort, that's your blueprint to nail both of them. Millions and millions of dollars moving through all these family members who have nothing to do with politics. Why is your daughter-in-law getting money from China or Ukraine? Because you can't. These people who says, well, there's, there's no connection to Joe Biden. Well, do you think John Gotti actually killed anybody? Why do you think he has Sammy the Bull? 
so he doesn't have to kill anybody. He can go golfing in Florida and say, I don't know how that guy popped up dead. <laughs> While Sammy was doing all your killing for you. You idiots. That's why you have family members. That's why you have Hunter. That's why you have all of the uh, the mechanisms around you to take money because you can't. That's politics corruption 101. Ray Nagin, former mayor of Chocolate City in uh, New Orleans, he is in jail. Well, at least I don't know if he's still in jail or not. He got 10 years because he was funneling money and contracts to his sons. Of course he did, because he wasn't going to do it himself. That's why you have cronies and family members. So we spent all of this time, the media, digging into Trump's background when he wasn't even a politician to find out money he made, connections to Russia, whether he had Russian dressing in his refrigerator. I mean, they spent millions of dollars on this nonsense. But they're not, I have seen, I read the Wall Street Journal regularly and I have. I have not seen one solid expose on his finances. A guy who's been in politics, Biden, my entire life, has never had a job, but he's a multimillionaire and his families are all multimillionaires. He has never had a regular job. I don't think Biden has ever raked leaves. But he's a multimillionaire with multiple homes. His son is loaded and we know how and why. Bernie Sanders, never had a job, scat homes all over the place. But they were so interested in Trump's finances because that's their job, to protect and elect Democrats and lie to the public and lie. Oh, there's no evidence. Oh, there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here, folks. It's it's. If these people know what they're doing, I think they do. I think Comer and people on the Judiciary Committee and Jim Jordan, they have laid out tons of stuff. They've got the checks. They've got everything. Even though, now here's another thing I'm going to go in on. If Democrats had the number of useful idiots that Republicans have, things would be a lot better. I don't know what it is about Republicans who are useful idiots for Democrats and the media. They go on these media outlets and they say things, well, you know, like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, I used to like the guy. Lindsey Graham is, has no spine. He has no core. He's just a, wants to be a nice guy. Oh, well, I, I haven't seen any, any evidence. Uh, I think he's covering himself, number one. He's friends with Joe Biden. He's been friends with Biden forever. Oh, I, I haven't seen any evidence. You even even uh, people on Fox. Oh, man, I haven't seen any. I mean, are you paying attention? This is supposed to be your business. Where do you think this money is coming from and for what? What do you think the bank accounts were for? What do you think the text messages tell you and the laptop tells you and the, the, the activity reports from the bank, the suspicious activity reports tell you? What do you think that all means? Or do you lack real common sense? These people, again, they spent so much time trying to tell you. And I think even um, it was a former FBI, an FBI, CIA agent. I think it was Clapper. 
oh, well, uh, no, it wasn't Clapper. I'm sorry. It was Al Bernstein, not Al Bernstein, the uh, Woodward and Bernstein. I can't think of his first name, but he was Bob Woodward's partner. Can't think of the name. Al Bernstein is a uh, boxing announcer. But he was on, uh, on, I think it was on CNN or MSNBC. Oh, well, it's the evidence is clear that Trump's a foreign agent. He said this, oh, well, the evidence, it's clear that he was a foreign agent. Carl Bernstein. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Yeah. Carl Bernstein. Oh, well, the evidence is clear that Trump's a foreign agent. Is it really? (laughs) Have you proven that? No, you haven't. But is the evidence clear that Biden is a foreign agent or his uh, hunter is? 100%. 100% out of his own lips, he tells you he took money from China. The bank accounts tell you he took money from China. His text messages tell you he took money from Ukraine and China. He's a foreign agent. Biden, by default, is the accomplice to a foreign agent. Anyway, I'm going to calm down a bit. I got more. If you want to get in, 216-901-0945-1-888-281-1110. You want to yell at me, you want to disagree with me, you want to tell me how wonderful I am, you can do that too. <laughs> I'm Khalid Namar. I'm here for Bob France. Stick around. Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Giving you reason of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, welcome back. To Always Right Radio with Bob France. I am Khalid Namar in for Bob France. So I'm going to take a call real quick. I got a friend coming up. I'm going to put online real quick from South Carolina. Also, I'll be talking about something that I came across. It's been a bad year for Ohio politicians. I'm going to be playing something for you that's kind of sad, but <clears throat> it's a reality of where we are, not just in, in Ohio politics, but it's going to focus on our politicians here in Ohio. And what a bad year it's been for many of them. And that's coming up very, very shortly. So stick around for that. So I'm going to go to a call. Jim from West Park. How are you, sir? Yes, thanks for taking the call. <clears throat> Have you read this book, Invisible Treason in America? I have not. Okay, it's a $12 book. It's, it's very easy reading. But in 2003, when the Bush had said that we could not connect the dots and they, you know, did all the destruction that they did that day. And probably more people died post 9-11. They said that they couldn't connect the dots. So this guy, Dennis Montgomery, uh, put together this software. It's a supercomputer called Hammer and Scorecard in 2003. And in 2005, they started using it against us. They've been, they put Obama in for eight years. Hmm. Uh, like I said, they've gone after Donald Trump for I don't know how many, how many years. But uh, the China, they sold that software to China. So China has actually been putting in, running our elections since 2005. Hmm. So it's a very easy read. It's called... Invisible Treason in America, 
by Dennis okay. Montgomery. Okay, yeah, I'll look it up for sure. I'm always interested in reading stuff like that. Yep. Thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Jim. All right. Um, so there's a lot going on in a lot of different states, <clears throat> and I got a friend who is getting into strong conservative is getting in, into politics in South Carolina. John McElron, how are you, John? Hey, how you doing, Colin? Oh, good. Good to hear from you, brother. Good to hear from you. You're down there in uh, Nancy Mace land. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. We are. We are down here. Yeah, she's. Uh, she's. Yeah. So I, Colin, you and I go way back. Yes. I I lived in L.A. for a while. I I was born in Ohio, and I sort of stopped through on my move back to South Carolina, kind of running away from from. California's crazy policies, their their rampant homelessness, and and then eventually, luckily, we got out of there before COVID. Um, and then we were in Ohio for a while. You and I became close, and then I, yes. I came down here to South Carolina, and um, have been getting more involved in politics down here. And it it just happens to be at a really interesting time where Nancy is making some bizarre decisions as a junior congressperson trying to throw around more weight than I think she has. And now she's put uh, conservatives in a fairly precarious position because, you know, Kevin McCarthy was, for all his faults, probably the most conservative speaker we've had in a long time. Um, I, I would venture to say more more conservative than Newt Gingrich even. and And she goes and boots him out. So now he's leaving. We have two more Republicans that are going to bounce by February, which means we have a one vote margin. And if we call if we're called to the floor with less than 100 percent participation, they're going to boot Mike Johnson and install Hakeem Jeffries. So it's a really uh. boneheaded move uh, on her part. And, you know, for the most part, she's OK. Uh, she, she, she We only need her to vote with us about 80 percent of the time and we'd be fine. But the problem is she's so disastrous on that other 20 percent. Uh, we've now got a group of people kind of actively looking at a more more conservative replacement. I actually, uh, Khaled, I want to give a shout out to, to Jim Jordan, actually, because I I grew up in his district and I was there. I lived in his district when I was back for a time. And I'm sure, you know, Khaled, like that, that's a fairly purple district. It's a safe Republican seat, but the the, the constituents are kind of. They're not hyper political. Um, you know, there were there were some recent, you know, more liberal leaning legislation that they voted to pass overwhelmingly in the in the last election. Um, but Jim is a solid conservative guy. Yes, he is. And what what Nancy what Nancy does down here is she tries to play that purple card to to lean more into some of these liberal environmental policies, eco policies. And just say, well, you know, I represent a purple district. That, that's fine, Nancy. You can represent a purple district and be a solid conservative just like Jim. Uh, people love him in his district, and, and he's a good guy. Yeah. And, and I think we need to adopt that model down here. So I can tell you, to do. I knocked doors for uh, a congressional candidate down there, Susan Manchester. And they love Jim Jordan down there, it, it, and particularly in yeah. Lima. I was in Lima and I talked to so yep. many folks down there, and just mentioning Jim Jordan's name will will probably get somebody to invite you to dinner. I mean, it's like <laughs> love the yep. guy down there. Yep. Um, and it is it was so refreshing to just talk to so many people, hundreds of folks, 
And they said, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, Jim Jordan's good enough for me. So he's he's very, very popular down there. You know what it is? He's very confident in his message. And, like, my involvement in politics down here and trying to identify whether it's me or whether it's somebody else who's a more conservative replacement for Nancy is at a much higher level what we're trying to do is sort of redefine conservatism away from libertarianism. They kind of you, – you see there's sort of this upswell of young politicians, Blake Masters, Josh Hawley, uh, Tim Cotton to an extent, J.D. Vance. Uh, Mike Johnson, who are really saying, no, libertarianism and conservatism are two different things, and we are conservatives. Conservatives, So we're trying to you know, get, some, get some movement behind that message. Um, say it with confidence. Don't be ashamed. And, you know, what, what happened is the left, they kick and scream and yell, and then people sort of cower into a corner and they say, fine, you, you get this, that, and the other. And then from, you know, between 2010, all the way to now, what happens to the quote conservative movement is we we message our messaging is to the left of where Barack Obama was in 2010. So, like I said, there's a small group of, you know, upcoming politicians that are like, no, no, conservatism is the right way to go. And we really need to regain the message. We need to drive a strong, confident, um, you know, talk track behind it and, and don't waver and, and also find ways to connect to not be so dry to not be so boring. I mean, you got a lot of conservatives out there that are just, for, for lack of better, you, you hear them talk and you just want to be like, nerd, you know? And it's like, so, so there's there's a way to bring it to the table that is refreshing, that's popular, that's engaging, where people can connect with your personality, but also your message and say, and and here's the other thing. I, I, I view it kind of like religion, right? When you when you look at religious converts, they, they tend not to be converted because you sit them down and talk them through the Bible or the Torah or the, you know, the Quran, they tend to be converted because they observe your lifestyle and how you live, how you live. And they say, that's, that's how I want to be. That's how I see myself in my life developing and, and living and, and caring for others. So I think that's the other thing is like making our lifestyles as conservatives front and center in the popular culture and saying this is a good, strong lifestyle that leads to a happy and flourishing life. And so that's a lot of the things that we're that we're trying to do down here that have, you know, obviously, you know, a local element to them. But also, we're, you know, of course, we need sort of a national movement behind it to to gain traction and popularity. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned the the whole uh, dry issue. I think that's one of DeSantis's biggest issues he sort of lacks a lot of charisma and like a sense of humor mm-hmm. he, he makes al gore look like robin williams i mean he's really just tight <laughs> <laughs> he's tight and yeah you know what i mean effective governor i absolutely i, I like i like ron but yeah he was i i met ron at a at an event recently he was very disciplined high you know shake hands you know does he smile on. i think he i yeah, he did. But, you know, he, he it's kind of it's kind of that very disciplined smile. It doesn't feel very relaxed. I like Ron. I like Ron. Yeah, I do too. The 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 candidate is going to be Trump, and you know that's that's fine. I like I, I like Trump too. Uh, I kind of wish it was Ron. I kind of wish he was more. But he's got to have. He needs to study. You know, uh, Josh Hawley's a good person to study. Because he's got a lot of charisma, he's got a lot of character and personality that's very easy to connect with, um, and we need to start looking at these 
you know, uh, more charismatic politicians as models for our behavior. What, what Ron did is he, he tries to model Trump in his behavior, which is your best guess, right? If you were going to advise him, that's your best guess on what he could do. But the problem is, <laughs> you know, nobody does Trump like Trump. And that's just because he's this, it, it comes from his years of being this 80s style playboy who had to deal with the mafia and the unions and the mob and the city. And he was a real estate developer. And it's just, he's so, he's so baked in his character and genuine in his character that it's hard for somebody to replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. John McEron from the South Carolina is my guest. It's almost like if you know anything about, you know, boxing or sports, all of these boisterous personalities that you see, they all, all emanate from Muhammad Ali. His personality was, yeah. was original when he came along, and there's been a lot of copycats but, yeah. you know, from that, from different sports, the, the, you know, the trash talking, the making predictions, and the, but none of them, none of them have been as good as him because he was such a yeah. natural personality. It was just who he was. And a lot of these people who are trying to be something they're not, it, comes, it certainly comes across. I can tell you, I saw Trump at CPAC a few years ago, and <laughs> people were I was in the back like rolling laughing he had the whole place dying yeah. because he's a he's a funny dude <laughs> you know he's he had people it was like a comedy yeah. show you know yeah and and we we gotta we gotta bring that that's what conservatives need to bring is is I would say you gotta bring I think Trump has a little sense of uh fatalism in him where he's like you know what I'm just gonna do what I do I'm confident that it's the right decision. If it doesn't work out, even if it's the end of the world, it's not the end of the world. You got to be able to take catastrophe with grace and humor. And Trump does a really good job of that. Whereas Ron's message is right, right? We, we are in decline. And I think it's very soon we're in irreversible decline, if not already. Mm -hmm. And, but the way that he brings that message to the table as is, you know, is, is very, it's very grim and it, it's a grim topic. So it's easy to fall into that trap. But like I said, on some level, you just have to say, Hey, if the world ends, it ends, it is what it is. We did the right things along the way. And you know, well, let's have one last laugh before we go. Trump just brings that aura. You see it when Schumer said, you know what, you're going to, you're going to blow up the debt and you're going to blow up the economy. And, and it's not us, right. When they had the government shutdown showdown and he goes, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that because what you're doing is wrong and I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to stoop to your level. And you see it right now with all the indictments coming against him. They're saying, well, you're going to end up in jail. And he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll be in jail for the full 700 years that I have lined up against me. But you know what? I'm going to keep doing the same thing. I'm going to I'm going to carry some grace and a sense of humor with me as I as I go along. And I think we just need a lot more of that because anything else is grim it's hard to connect with and like i said it's just boring and you come off as just it's just a nerd and nothing else and and we need a little more spice we need a little more charisma well i just saw the michigan supreme court struck down efforts to keep him off the ballot so that was another victory and if you no, see i i like i like this i like when they kick him off the ballot <laughs> it's, it's good it gets it gets people like george will to come and defend donald trump oh, he God. must just be grading all the way to his keyboard. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really like it when they pick him off the ballot. But, well, yeah, uh, Michigan, Michigan they, they struck it down. And, he and, won't stay off. <laughs> and if you look at the Supreme Court, 
which uh, ruled against Jack Smith in their latest ruling. Yeah. Hopefully common sense will prevail in some of these things because these people, the law I was saying earlier about it, it doesn't matter with these people when it comes to their own sense of self-righteousness. Because, again, if you look at how what, how resistance goes, where if you had to save your family or if you had to save the life of people you love, you're, gonna, you're not going to think about the law. You're just going to do what you have to do. Right. You know. If if, yeah. you, if you have to uh, if you're fleeing somewhere with your family and you got to break a window to get inside of a building, and get some shelter, you're going to break the window. That's just how it goes. Well, that's how yeah. these people think. They do whatever they want to do because they feel that they are in the right. And yeah. the people who are supposed to stand up and there's only a few real liberals left in our country who are willing to speak out. There's literally a handful. And I never thought I'd be saying this, but Bill yeah. Maher, uh, Alan Dershowitz, of course, and Jonathan Turley. Those are like the only oh, three, who, yeah, who are who are publicly speaking out from that side about, hey, this yeah. isn't right, this isn't correct. You know, I I had some, we had this, I had these discussions at work. Although I should end up going to get fired one day, but um, <laughs> one guy said he says to me, yeah, he goes, well, you know, Trump should be taken off, Trump should be convicted in in Georgia. Um, you know, get him, get him off the ballot. That way people can't vote for him. I said, I said, I don't think in the, in the middle of an election that you should have a jury deciding the fate of the, of the political leading political rival, unless it's some egregious crime. And the reason is, even if it is an egregious crime, by the way, you give it to the voters. That's the ultimate jury. That's what I said to him. So those are my exact words. I said, the voters are the ultimate jury. It's more than 12 people. It's millions of people. And he goes, yeah, but the voters are stupid. And I said, well, <laughs> there you go. Same, I said by that same. Yeah, th- there's a lot to unpack there. But <laughs> but the simplest strand I pulled out of that is I said, by the same token, then the jury is stupid right. because the jury is pulled from the voters, dude. And uh, and I said, so in that case, we can't trust anybody. We might as well just put them in front of a criminal court. I said that as a joke. And he goes, or, uh, like a, a military, like that, like the Hague. And uh, and he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, we absolutely should. I was like, he's got to be. But they're, they're just they're they're out of their mind. They're out of their mind. They did the same. thing. By the way, how many times did they scream and kick and yell that George W. Bush should be thrown in front of the Hague for war crimes? Yes. And now that same chorus of people is like, oh, George Bush is great. He was one of the greatest. It's like you guys are just they're juvenile and just shut up and go. And by the way. I think conservatives and even libertarians, whoever is on the right, I think we need to start engaging in that line of defense a lot more often. When someone comes up to you and just says something ridiculous, like you're racist or you hate women or don't don't say like when someone comes up to me and say, well, you hate women. And I'll be like, ah, oh, half my friends are women and I <laughs> promote women at work. Right. And I don't hate women. And I just gave a woman a raise. No, no. The, the right response is shut up and go away. You dork! You're just you're you're engaging in conversation in bad faith. I'm not even going to talk yeah, to you. Yeah. We I, need to start having a lot more confidence in that messaging. Yeah, what I tell people, particularly white that I talk to when they're called racist, I say first thing you don't do: never, never, never defend yourself. You, you don't yeah. defend yourself. You don't don't ever let people put exactly. you on a defensive and say, "Well, you know, no," because a no. the moment you start doing that, you've you've allowed them to accomplish their goal is to put you on the defensive and, and have to tell you uh, all the things you've done in your life and how you help kids and how you feed homeless black people down in, in, in the 
Skid Row. You don't have to do any of that because they're going to always have an answer for you. So just don't defend yourself. I would take that approach. Well, sorry you feel that way and, and, and move on. That That's like, I'm, I'm happy that you and more and more people are saying that because that was the trend for a while. It's just like, well, let me, let me give you my CV of anti-racism here. It's like, no guys, like this is a bad faith conversation. Just like these are bad faith prosecutions against Trump and Trump is giving the right response, which is prosecute. I don't care. And every time they tell, they tell him to shut up about the judge or shut up about the clerks. He's like, no, nah, I don't care. I'm going to go out at my next rally and I'm going to knock them down. And if you want to find me, find me. If you want to put me, that's exactly the right answer. And that's the approach that, that we all need to take. Yeah. So what I do is I, I give, as many people know, I give a lot of talks <clears throat> to kids about civics and constitution. I always, I give them case studies. So I give them a bunch of case studies where they have to make a decision on someone's constitutional rights. Usually it's the person that's kind of unpopular that they may not necessarily like. But I give them these cases intentionally because I want them to make dispassionate decisions about people's rights, whether you like them or not, because it's not important. It's not relevant. You don't have to like somebody to defend their rights because you're defending your own as well, because somebody may not like you. And I, I often said I, that people love the criminal justice system as long as it's going after somebody they don't like. And that's why all these people who yeah. hate Trump are silent on all this nonsense because they believe in it. They don't care whether or not things are done properly because they don't like the guy. But if it's somebody they like, they scream up and down about how, what an injustice this, uh, this criminal justice system is and how it's terrible and needs to be reformed. It's only that way when, yeah. it, when it doesn't give you the result you like, or when it goes against somebody that you actually love and like some Hollywood actor yeah. or some athlete or something. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I know you were talking about uh, Hunter Biden before I jumped on. Now, uh, my, my, my personal take on that is let, let's save this to like the very last second because I don't want I don't want Newsom jumping in this race. He's uh, <laughs> oh, he an incredibly he's an incredibly good politician. I, I lived in California for uh, 10 years almost. And people outside of California will say, well, J- John, you, you got we got a, we, we got a hard break. Can you hang on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please hang around. John McGarron from South Carolina is yeah, my guest. And be heard. Text AM to 5886. That's AM to 52886 to tell Congress to support AM radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. 
Welcome back to the third hour of Always Right Radio. Bob France. I'm Colleen Namar in for Bob France, who's taking a much deserved break. I am on with my friend from South Carolina, John McElron, who is going to be entering into the world of politics in South Carolina. Hopefully we need strong conservatives like him. He's also a former resident of Ohio and California. So he has a lot to offer about uh, the political landscape in these various states. John, I'm going to be uh, introducing something because there's been a, it's it's sad, but it's kind of comical when you when you compile it all. There's it's been a bad year for politicians here in Ohio. There's been some real ugly scandals that have gone on. Some large, some are from the world of politics. Some are outside of it, but still, it's been it's not been a good year. So I want you to help me kind of walk through all of these. We're going to comment on some of these. This is a compilation of some of the scandals that have taken place in Ohio this year with our lovely politicians. 2023 was a big year at the Ohio State House, but it was also a controversial one. One of those reasons is because politicians kept getting in trouble with the law. So we're breaking down a list of the public figures who had legal issues this year. Going chronologically, the year started off with a bang, with the trial for the largest bribery scheme in state history. This is one step to the process, and we're going to utilize every process we can in the judicial system until we get it right, because I'm not guilty. A court begged to differ with former Republican House Speaker Larry Householder. After his trial from January to March, Householder was found guilty of accepting a $61 million bribe. He used that money to put himself and his allies into power and for his credit card debt and home renovations. In June, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. I did not believe that anything proved that I had committed and that I had engaged in a uh, racketeering conspiracy, which is why I fought this from the beginning. The trial of former GOP leader Matt Borges was combined with householders. He was also found guilty in the same scheme, receiving five years in prison. He pocketed over $350,000 from the scandal and bribed an FBI informant with a $15,000 check. I may have hit her hand unintentionally or something just so I wouldn't get hit again. He's a liar. Ex-Republican state rep Bob Young was arrested in July and later convicted of domestic violence against his wife. He ended up being arrested multiple times with charges of DV, stalking, and violation of a protection order. He was acquitted of an assault charge. He was pushed to resign following his second arrest. For the sake of my family, looking forward to putting this behind me. In October, former Democratic Cincinnati City Councilman P.G. Sittenfeld was sentenced to 16 months in prison after a jury convicted him him of bribery and extortion charges. He was found guilty of accepting $40,000 in bribes. We're working with some, you know, my, my representatives uh, and I, uh, def- you know, defending myself in, in, every, in every respect. Filing a false police report is a very serious uh, issue. After a tumultuous six months, Democratic State Rep Elliot Forehand had a restraining order and a police report filed against him in November. Fellow lawmaker State Rep Juanita Brent filed and received a protection order against Forehand after numerous incidents of harassment, including allegedly showing up to her house on numerous occasions. 
In early December, former chairman of the Public Utilities Commission, Sam Randazzo, pleaded not guilty after being charged with a dozen bribery crimes. He was allegedly a major player in the householder scheme and received millions in bribes. I apologize. Also in December, ex-Republican Cincinnati City Councilman Jeff Pastor was sentenced to two years in prison after pleading guilty to one count of wire fraud. The FBI says he pocketed $55,000. At the Columbus Bureau, I'm Morgan Trow reporting. So, John, are you there? <laughs> yep, I'm here. Did you get all that? I did. <laughs> it, it, it is it is terrible. $51 million for a state politician seems like, you know, that's enough to fund a presidential campaign. That guy should have been center. And, you know, some of these people are just awful. So one of the stories that didn't make it, because I think it just probably came out before this story, maybe they left it out. There's a guy by the name of Jack Blakesley, he admitted to throwing a poop can from his car at least 10 times in various locations. Well, this guy is actually a lawyer, so he's not in a, luckily he's not, he's not elected. But anyway, um, this guy actually was a, was a lawyer from Ohio and he's throwing poop cans out of his window. He could have been elected, you know, <laughs> but anyway. But this this guy's I'm 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 throwing poop cans out of the window, saying this is what Nancy Mace is bringing to the district. That's what's written on the side of the can. So, so did you follow our scandal in the house with Householder and Borgias? No, I mean not not closely. I I know what you're talking about. I didn't realize it was sixty million dollars. I mean, you should be jailed on incompetence. Because if you're getting $61 million in bribes, you need to start running for Senate or or president, like, immediately. <laughs> yeah, these guys yeah. were doling – he was doling money out to, to cronies to, to you know, for their votes and all these kinds of – it was this ugly situation. But this house has yeah. been mired in scandal all year, not to mention these other clowns. Everybody's taking bribes. Every, yeah. You know, they got, they got this guy on tape. Uh, I think it was Borges was on tape in this video passing a check to a tool yeah. and an, an informant. I mean, it's just, this is why people lose faith in a system because these guys get here yeah. and they do the same thing over and over, over again. They take money. They are, they, you know, they, they pay bribes, they take bribes, they enrich themselves. This is what Jimmy DeMora, our County commissioner, I think you were here doing the Jim DeMora situation where, you know, yeah. getting, you know, getting home renovations and just typical self enriching, cronyism nonsense and if you want to go into business go into business stay out of politics yeah. but i guess the best way so for people to, to go into business is to go into politics here's here's what i'm finding getting more into it and this is more general but i'm sure it's, i think it's true everywhere is is that politicians for the most part are pretty dumb <laughs> i don't think they have a lot yeah i don't think they have a lot of skills you have to be very very it's it, it attracts a certain type of personality, and frankly, it demands a certain type of personality because you have to, just, without any shame or feelings of, uh, you know, lacking confidence, just get on the phone with people that you don't know and ask them for $12,000 for your donations to your campaign and take whatever they give you. That, that's a certain type of personality, right? That's a personality. So the, 
the system's kind of, unfortunately, I think, set up this, that way. I, I do think that as we are in the age of social media and, in, and enhanced transparency, hopefully that helps a little bit expose some of these people. But th- that's the problem is they want to have power. They want to make money. But very often they're pretty dumb and they're pretty stupid and they don't have any other avenues to get there other than by begging people for campaign donations and then using the power of their office to enrich themselves. So it's, it's just, I think it's just an unfortunate reality that we need to, we need people like you and, and other activists out there constantly trying to expose and, and clean things up. You know, one, one other thing I add to this, Nancy doesn't have a lot of scandal. Um, she's got a lot of personal. Nancy Mace, you're speaking of. Nancy Mace out of, out of South Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a lot of professional scandal, but I, I did a, I did some commentary on this and I said, you know, we can extend some grace to these people, understanding that we're all, we're all sinners. We're all in some sense, corrupt and wretched. Um, but you know, when it gets to the point that it, it jeopardizes $61 million in, in bribes is you're, you're not, you're not governing anymore. And it, it demonstrates a lack of care about anything. You know, some, some of these small amounts, 40,000 here, 150,000 there, maybe it's a gray area, maybe these people, but when, when you're at the level of $61 million, it's clear that you care nothing at all about proper governance, about the benefit, about the welfare of the state and its citizens and it's so criminal. I, I think I, I hope he serves every one of his 20 years, because I think that's the only deterrent in this situation that. And again, people like you staying nose to the ground, you know, actively investigating and exposing these things and doing it through the bullhorn of a radio show or a social media platform, you know, in an age of increased transparency. Yeah. Last thing. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know like, we, we got to make sure, though, that what when, when it's a, especially if it's a democratic politician because they seem to be uh they, they seem to commit this more so than the republicans do but you have to make sure that they're not coming out against you with this misinformation nonsense and burying it like they did the hunter biden laptop to the extent that they were getting heads of the national security apparatus to come in and say yeah these these are just liars. These are just misinformers. These are just disinformers. So you, we, we do have to ensure that our, our platforms and our bullhorns um, have, have a measure of integrity that, that enables people to believe us in spite of the fact that the government's going to be shouting lies and misinformation. Yep. John McEron is my guest from South Carolina, 216-901-0945. I, <clears throat> I wrote an article years ago about these mayors and all sorts of people who particularly black Democrat politicians in these cities that were uh, from Detroit and Newark and Charlotte and New Orleans and Philadelphia and several other cities, Congressman Chaka Fatah, Corinne Brown, who got out of prison because of COVID recently. There's been several others in these cities. And, and it's really common for the people who claim to, represent the underserved and I would say, well, who's underserving them to set up these CDCs uh, where they get all this block grant money and it goes to their relatives and, and, and children and they make money off of poverty. Basically they, they want to reinvest in the community and the money that they get 
into their districts goes through entities that they control. Very, very common. Elijah Cummings, the late Elijah Cummings, his wife had a bunch of LLCs and things. They all know how to get this government money directed towards their cronies and their family members. And luckily, people like Peter Schweitzer has written books on this from about everybody from Mitch McConnell to, you know, the Bidens to whomever who enrich themselves. The longer they stay in office, the more they run for office, the more money they raise and the wealthier they become. Even Bernie, Bernie directed millions of dollars from advertising of his campaigns to a company, a media company that was controlled, uh, or shall I say he directed campaign money towards advertising to a media company controlled by his wife, or at least his wife was associated with it. And that's how he's got three homes. He's never held a job. And you run for president a couple of times. You raise a bit of money. You can set yourself up pretty nicely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, Nancy, that does remind me, I'll have to dig into this. Nancy makes one of her things down here is I got a hundred million dollars for road infrastructure. And my, my question is I didn't really go to corruption. I went more to competence, but I wonder if you dug in what you would find there is where did the hundred million dollars go? Who's reporting on it? What are the updates? What's the timeline ETA? What's the cost benefit? Um, you know, those are things that even because that money is so hard, it's, it's, there's such large amounts of money. It's so esoteric, so hard to track. You're ingrained. You've got friends that you give favors to who donate to your campaign. It's one, one thing I think that will be good with the advent of AI. There's a lot that can go wrong, but one good thing is that the, the tracking and uh, the tracking systems that you can put in place with AI in the anomaly detection that you can do. And then the report generation. So for uh, folks who don't know, I, I am actively in the political scene, but my, my day job is adopting AI uh, at my, at my place of employment and my, at my consulting firm. Um, and so I have a lot of experience there, but the reports that you can generate to the people, right. That's that increased transparency to say, yeah, the right things are being done with this money. It's being handled both competently and also, not roughly. I, I, I hope we can get to that place. But I'll tell you what, Khaled, I've never been involved in politics before. I'm, I'm a banker by background and then strategy consulting. Um, I'm just getting into it. And I'm absolutely floored at how much it is about the money, how little accountability there is around the money. And again, just the type of personality that this attracts. It attracts people that, for the most part, are dumb and don't have many other options and avenues to success in life. And so they take advantage of the position that they get. Yeah. Yeah. There's give you an example. I've written a lot about Michigan, Michigan over the last 10, 15 years. I tell people about Michigan and they, they, their mouths drop to the floor. That place is a cesspool. If everything that is wrong with politics has happened in every state, however, Michigan has everything. And there was a guy by the name of, um, he ran for state office. He ran, he won a state seat over Republican. He was an eight time convicted felon and he beat a Republican for a state seat. His name, um, and I'll tell you his name in a second because I'll tell you that his financial crimes were extensive, right? Financial fraud, check fraud, bank fraud, and all this stuff. 
His name was Brian Banks, and <laughs> he ran for state house and won, and he flamed out surprisingly after one term. But he, as an eight-time convicted felon, he was able to win a state seat. And that just told me all I needed to know, that his record of being an eight-time felon for financial crimes did not deter his voters. And he was able to beat a Republican for the seat. That it was discouraging and terrible. Yeah. Yeah. If you have the right friends and the right personality, like I said, for a lot of, I think for a lot of politicians, this is their only path to success in life. And they just try. It's such a mess. Government accounting is terrible. The, the transparency of where these funds go, the rules around it. It's all such a mess that you just get these moochers that, see an opportunity to pull one over on people and, and they take it. It's really, really, just really unfortunate. I don't know the answer other than, like I said, people, people like you, uh, increased transparency, investigative journalism, social media platforms, using bullhorns. I, I think that's all we got. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ugly, man. So, I, I, I as, as a newcomer in this, I just, I can't believe how ugly it is. I really can't. Yeah. And people are getting really discouraged and a lot of people are, either leaving politics or they're deciding they don't want to run for lots of different reasons. So speaking of social media, how can people follow you? What are your social media handles? So I just, I've never had social media before. I gave my wife uh, a hard time about it, but when people started asking if I would run against Nancy in 2024, I am considering it. So I spun up an Instagram. That's really all I'm on is Instagram only. And it is at J O N. M-A-C-K-S-C. That's at J-O-N-M-A-C-K-S-C, John Mack S-C. Um, and uh, I'm putting a new one out today or tomorrow on Janet Yellen's, some of Janet Yellen's comments. My mm-hmm. my best one to date is, is a little parody on Katie Hobbs out in Arizona. I said, uh, you know, she's going to be under investigation soon because uh, she's running her mouth a little too much about that illegal immigration problem. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you know, she asked for half a billion dollars to justify the issue from the Biden administration. <laughs> Doesn't surprise I was like, me. That, that, that's 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 money that goes to Ukraine. She's slow with that, that, that protects Ukraine, not so, yours, Katie. Yeah. So, <laughs> so thanks for hanging out with me, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to hear from you. We'll be doing this yeah, again for I, sure, brother. Yeah, yeah. We should, we should try and touch base like once a month at least. But we, uh, we will. Like like I said. Uh, Give me, give me a shout anytime, uh, personal or, or on the radio. Absolutely. I love talking to you. I haven't had this much fun in a long time, so thanks a lot, Khalid. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. John McGill, right. South Carolina. 4260. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back to this final segment of Always Write Radio. Ali Namar in for Bob France. It's been fun today. If you want to get in, get in before we go. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. So I was talking the first segment about our college kids, which many know are on the edge of, of uh, <laughs> well, they are insane. I, I saw a video last night with a guy named Ami Horowitz. Many of you know Ami Horowitz videos. They're very fascinating. He does these sort of, you know, undercover things he does. He goes on campus and he talks to 
off-campus kids about all sorts of things, which are, it's always frightening to see what he uncovers. I remember a few years ago, he had went and set up a, he sets up like a, a little table and he starts talking to kids on campus about different things. Or sometimes he does these things on the street as well. And he was talking to college kids about free speech. And he said, you know, he's playing this radical person. He, he goes undercover. He says, you know, these these Republicans are they're saying what they want to say. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get to this petition signed so we can, you know, limit their First Amendment rights. And several several of the kids that he spoke to at Yale's campus wanted or no, did sign the petition, this mock petition to limit First Amendment rights. These are supposedly the best and the brightest signing a petition to get rid of first amendment. So, and then he's done other skits where he's shouted on campuses about raising money for ISIS. And, you know, you know, you get kids that stop by, they ask questions and some of them sign the petition for that. So just recently I watched where he went to a campus. This was very recently because he was talking about the, uh, the war and in, in right now and with Hamas and, and Israel. And he's saying he's raising money. And he's explicitly telling these kids this money is to be used for terrorism, for hitting soft targets. He mentions this language explicitly, soft targets, uh, cafes, things of that nature. Hit them hard, make them feel it. He's very explicit. And about half of them gave him money through, you know, they go, oh, yeah, well, cash up. Sure. They send you five bucks, ten bucks. And these, this was at the University of Shocker, I think it was University of San Francisco or San Francisco State or something like that. Unbelievable. He explicitly told them this money was for terrorism against Jewish targets and half of the kids gave him money. And and I'm going like, where do, where do you go with this? Where do you go with this? When, you, when we're producing these types of 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 degenerates because again, and, and this is, I, I attended college very briefly at dropping out and I know there's a lot of decent young people out there. However, there's a lot of peace people out there who are not decent. They are destructive actually. And I, I'm not the one to just on face value, celebrate some kid going to college. Like, like, okay, that's nice, but what are you going to do with it? I mean, all these people we covered who were criminals in the last segment went to college. So what? What, what kind of person are you going to be? That's my biggest concern. So it's nice for parents. Yeah, you want your kids to do well, and many of your kids are doing well, and they are decent. But when people put their kids on Facebook, oh, my kid's going to college, that's great. And I'm just like, okay. I always think of it as a series of steps. And I talk to kids all the time about this. I say no matter how smart you are, or you might not be doing that well. You might be the top. You might be in the middle. You might be at the bottom, but you have to keep working because if you're at the top, you're not always going to be there because there's another level, always another level. And if you're at the bottom, keep working because there's nowhere to go but up. And there's another level as well. And when you get out of college, there's life. So that's just another step. A lot of people can do well up until certain levels and then life life happens so there's a, there's a girl 
Brittany Smith. It's about 10 years ago or so, a little over a decade ago. She was two weeks from graduating from Harvard University. And she was arrested and eventually went to jail for a couple of years for accessory to murder after the fact. She was in Harvard at Harvard, you know, one of the best schools in the world who everybody thinks you're just this great, super wonderful person. And she's dating a drug dealer. This drug dealer murders someone. And she helps him get out of town and she actually leaves with him in a cab. She helped him get into her dorm and use her badge to change his clothes and whatever. She aided in his escape after the fact. And she ended up going to prison. And she, you know, her best friend, who was dating also another drug dealer in this circle, didn't, um, they didn't allow her to graduate. Again, there's levels. So these kids who run all these campuses and everybody's oldies are future. Yeah, they're our future. They are. But what, what kind of people are we preparing? What kind of people are we actually producing? And that, to me, to a lot of people, is, is a major concern. Because we see right now from the people who are going to be in leadership just because of the type of schools they go to. You go to Harvard. You go to Yale. You go to Princeton. You get all these opportunities. You are going to become policymakers. You're going to become leaders, politicians, judges, corporate heads. You see the kind of character these people have. And these people are going to get opportunities more than others because of the schools that they attend, because of the, the prestige attached to these Ivy League, excuse me, these Ivy League schools. So I look at that and I go, wow. And I, I talk to a lot of kids and, you know, on different levels from elementary to middle to high school to colleges. And I'm always just interested in what they believe. So it's good to just have these conversations with them and find out just what they believe about things and to, to shape those things. And to understand when they go into a certain profession, what are you going into it for? You're going into law. Okay, that's girl. My kid's a lawyer. Yeah, what kind of lawyer? Are you going to be the type of lawyer who is going to restrict people's voting rights because you don't like someone? Are you going to be an overzealous prosecutor? So I'm just like a wait and see type of uh, type of attitude. But that story was disturbing to me to see the kind of people we're producing. It's you giving money to people who explicitly say they're going to blow stuff up. We got a call. No. Okay. But um, <clears throat> that was disturbing. But that's where we are. Oh, you pull out your phone and give money to people to say they're going to blow up Jewish targets. Unbelievable. But that's just one one campus out of hundreds or thousands even who may, you may find kids like that. Really, really terrible. So at any rate, um, if again, and I mentioned my show, I have to plug my show Sunday nights. Those of you who watch Mark Levin after Mark Levin goes off, if you feel like laying down and turn on the radio, listen to me, <laughs> rising tides, on Sundays uh, right here on this network, I'll be back in this chair on Friday with some more good stuff for you. I always try to be again, entertaining, informative. You know, I'm not trying to, to duplicate necessarily what Bob does, but definitely honor his audience. 
and respect the seat while I'm here. So I always have a great time here. Been doing this now. It's like my third year now. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I got great engineers here who make this job easy. Doing live radio is not as easy as it appears, but you got to have people walk you through certain things. So thanks to Seth, my engineer today. And uh, he's got the Seth Williams show. Check out the Seth Williams show. Um, I've, I've actually been a guest on there. So want to check that out. It's always interesting. And Seth, when are you on? Monday, Monday and Wednesday, Wednesday nights. nights. Monday and Wednesday nights. Yep, Seth Williams show. Four to six. Yep. So my show again Sunday nights. Check me out. I'll be in this chair on Friday. Some great stuff I got coming up. Then I don't necessarily intend to be provocative. I just say what I feel. I don't say anything. Those of who, who know me know I say <laughs> how I talk. So I don't just say things just because I'm on radio. I say these things like. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.